morning, y'all. I'm Katie Kamen, and it's Tuesday, February 21st. It's National Pancake Day today. The annual observance, believe it or not, dates back to the year 600 AD and shares roots with Ash Wednesday. DaysoftheYear.com tells us that when Pope St. Gregory prohibited Christians from eating meat and other animal products during Lent, the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday became the day people of faith would use up the last of their eggs, butter, and milk. In England, that translated into making pancakes. Lent, by the way, begins tomorrow. Now let's check in with the Live 5 First Alert Weather Center for your Tuesday forecast. And good morning to you. I'm meteorologist Joey Sovan. As we get started on our Tuesday morning, a mix of sun and clouds, partly to mostly cloudy today, otherwise breezy, warm with a small chance of a shower. We'll start out this morning with temperatures in the 50s and 60s, climbing the mid-70s at lunchtime and up around 80 degrees this afternoon. The wind out of the west, 10 to 20, gusting up to about 30 miles per hour today. Near record high tomorrow at 82, near record high of 86. The record high is for Thursday. It will be close, if not just a little bit shy of that. Regardless, very warm temperatures through at least Friday. This looks like we have a brief cool down on Saturday. Highs in the upper 60s with a couple showers and then back up to the 80s on Sunday. You're listening to Morning Y'all, your local headlines and first alert weather forecast powered by the Low Country's news leader, Live 5 News. Now let's get to your morning headlines. After more than 60 witnesses, the state has rested its case in the Alec Murdoch murder trial, and the defense is now calling its own witnesses to take the stand to try and prove Murdoch did not murder his wife Maggie and son Paul in June of 2021. We've heard from just two defense witnesses so far and expect to hear from several more today when court resumes. Live 5's Katie Kamen is at the Colleton County Courthouse this morning. And Katie, who could take the stand today more than a month into this trial? Good morning. Good morning, Nick and Aisha. Well, when proceedings wrapped up for the day on Friday, the defense did not say who they will be calling to the stand first thing today. They just said that they expected to be very lengthy testimony. On their witness list, however, are multiple members of Murdoch's family member, including his surviving son, Buster, as well as his brother, John Marvin. Now, since the defense started its case last week, we've heard from the Colleton County coroner, who testified how he determined Paul and Maggie's time of death. And we've heard from the public information officer from the Colleton County Sheriff's Office, who testified about why the Sheriff's Office and SLED put out a release the day after the murder, saying there was no danger to the public. The defense has previously argued that authorities have all looked at Murdoch as a guilty suspect, and they've questioned why other people were not looked at closer. Before the defense's witnesses, the state wrapped up its case with a sled agent who put together a timeline of everything the state had presented in court. The testimony also included new information from General Motors, which shows the movements and speed of Murdoch's Suburban the night of the murders. The prosecution says the data shows him arriving at the scene and just seconds later calling 911. And in that 911 call, though, Murdoch says he already checked the bodies of his wife and son. From the moment the Suburban arrived at the kennels, how long did it take for that 911 call to be made? That's 20 seconds. If the person getting out of the car had seen the bodies already and already knew something was horribly wrong, do you believe that that is an unreasonably short period of time to inspect and call 911? I'm here to testify on this data, not the hypothetical. 
Now, yesterday the court was in recess because of President's Day, but proceedings are expected to pick up at 9.30 this morning. The defense say, says they expect their case to take about another week or two weeks before they wrap up. Live in Colleton County, Katie Kamen, Live 5 News. New this morning, the Highway Patrol is investigating a crash out of Beaufort County. Troopers say this happened around 1040 last night. A car was traveling north along Highway 21, about 10 miles south of Beaufort. They say the car ran off the left side of the road and hit a tree. The driver, who was the only person in that car, died at the scene. Their identity has not been released. We now know the identity of the person killed in a crash out of Berkeley County. Officials with the Berkeley County Coroner's Office says 29-year-old O'Neill Parker died at the scene of the crash on North Highway 52 in St. Stephen. The State Highway Patrol says a 24-year-old man was also hurt in that crash and was taken to the hospital. Berkeley County dispatchers say the crash was reported just after 1 yesterday morning on Highway 52 near Kelton Road. Deputies have not yet released information about the vehicle believed to be involved. The coroner's office and state troopers continue to investigate. Officials in Georgetown County continue to investigate after the skeletal remains of two people were found over the past weekend. The Georgetown County coroner shared details about the remains with our sister station up in the PD. They have confirmed one is a woman, the other is a man. The bodies will remain at the Georgetown County Memorial Hospital for now until they are are ready to be transferred to MUSC for further investigation. The coroner says the sheriff's office is investigating the case as a double homicide. An autopsy was scheduled yesterday. We'll bring you more on the results just as soon as they are released. The Dorchester County Sheriff's Office says a juvenile is set to be charged in an animal abuse incident caught on video. They say that incident was captured on a ring doorbell camera, which has been circulating on Facebook. It shows two young people at a home in Latson. You can see one of them picking up a cat, slamming it to the ground. After further investigation reports showed deputies identified that person was seen throwing the cat. Deputies say the juvenile will be charged. The Lowcountry Animal Rescue has shared a picture of the cat, Evie, saying she's getting checked out at Sweetgrass Animal Hospital. A bill advancing at the State House would ban cities and counties in South Carolina from enacting their own local restrictions on e-cigarettes and vape sales. Local laws and ordinances put into place before 2021 would be grandfathered in under this bill. It would not prevent cities and counties from enacting no smoking areas or zone ordinances to ban smoke or vape sales in certain areas like close to schools. Since 2019, federal law has barred selling tobacco products, including e-cigarettes, uh, to anyone younger than 21, though South Carolina law hasn't been updated to reflect this, senators of both sides uh, on both parties pledged to do more to prevent these products from getting into the hands of kids and teens, saying current law isn't strong enough. Bills similar to this one have been proposed in previous years at the state house, but none have become law. Well, that's not the only hot topic debate going through the State House right now. Tomorrow, a bill involving concealed weapons is set to be debated on the House floor. This bill would allow what's known as constitutional carry or permitless carry. Now, uh, under the bill, people in South Carolina could carry concealed loaded guns without needing a permit or any type of training. The bill would also set mandatory penalties for people unlawfully carrying guns after they've been convicted of certain crimes. 
The bill already has the backing of dozens of Republicans, including the Speaker of the House. Supporters say the bill protects Second Amendment rights, while opponents argue the bill is dangerous and does nothing to promote the well-being of South Carolinians. Well, construction is well underway on the new James Island Elementary Room that's set to open on the island in August. Trident Medical Center officials say the new $12 million facility will help people on James Island get the care that they need at a faster speed. Our Molly McBride, she joins us live from the construction site on James Island. Yeah, Molly, give us an update on that construction process. Good morning. Good morning. Officials here on site tell me they've completed the foundation, the exterior walls, and the structural steel of the facility and are now making their way towards completing the interior walls as well. Trident Medical Center broke ground on the brand, a brand new 11-bed, 13,000-square-foot ER in May of 2022. Trident officials say this location is crucial to James Islanders because access to Claire close to home is critical, especially in areas that have frequent traffic delays. I spoke to Sarah Young, the interim manager of Trident's emergency department, who tells me eliminating the EMS commute from James and John's Island to Trident's main campus will save so much time and so many lives. She says at peak beach time, it can take 30 to 40 minutes to drive just one mile on Folly Road. I'm super excited being a Johns Island local. I feel safer that I know that something is so much closer to our house than it's been in the past. It's it's really exciting to be bringing um, all the good work that we do up here to be bringing it down to the islands. Officials here on site tell me they're actually planning to start the roofing of the facility today and are still on track to open in August of this year. Reporting live on James Island, I'm Molly McBride, Live 5 News. The American Heart Association's Low Country Heart Walk will return in Charleston this weekend to raise awareness for the number one killer in Americans, cardiovascular disease. The walk is held in 300 communities across the nation with nearly one million walkers every year. The walk will take place this Saturday, February 25th at Brittle Bank Park in downtown Charleston. Participants are asked to arrive at 8 a.m. Survivors and supporters are also encouraged to attend. Organizers hope to raise more than $1 million for a fourth straight year. To register as a team or individual for the Heart Walk, head to LowCountryWeekend.com and look for the story. Believing in young men and wanting them to succeed, that's the goal of the Real Talk and a Haircut, a program hosted by the Community Resource Center in North Charleston that offers free haircuts, uniforms, and clothing to young men in the area. Real Talk and a Haircut is about talking to young men in the community about how to conduct themselves, look for jobs, and to prepare for their future. Lewis Smith with the Community Resource Center says, they also want these young men to remember that there is a team cheering them on in their corner. Now, young men who come to the event aren't only uh, offered a free haircut, but they're also given free professional clothing to use for school or interviews. They plan on continuing the program once a month throughout different areas in Charleston. 
South Carolina State University is facing backlash from the state law enforcement division after a student died last year. Yeah, that student, Amaya Carr, reportedly died of natural causes, but a newly released SLED report says the school's investigation is marred with missteps as well as delays. According to their report released Friday, campus police waited six weeks to notify SLED of Amaya's death. State law requires that all campus deaths be reported to SLED immediately. SLED officials say because of the delay, their crime scene unit was not able to process Amaya's dorm where the uh, asthma attack reportedly happened. Yeah, Amaya's mother is still unsettled about no autopsy being performed on Amaya's body. People don't know this is hard because I don't know how my daughter died. Carr was the co-captain of the school's dance team. Investigators say she died after suffering an asthma attack on campus last April. A group of students took her to the hospital where she did die. A coroner was at the hospital and noted there were no markings on her body indicating any foul play. Well, the Charleston County School District is set to discuss its next year's academic calendar. Yeah, tonight's meeting, the board members will go over feedback and allow discussion of the calendar. Samantha Popovich joins us live from CCSD's headquarters. And Samantha, tell us a little bit more about these different options and how they could impact parents as well as students. Good morning. Good morning. The Charleston County School District Board Committee will be going over feedback which could impact start dates, holidays, and early release days. The school district recently put out a survey that made up of 70 staff members, included teachers, principals, and school officials. 47% voted to start the school year on a Wednesday. The results also showed a mixed response of requests for early release days being either in middle or the end of the week. Charleston County School District Board of Trustees Ed Kelly says having the last day of the quarter be a few weeks after Christmas break has raised concerns for parents. According to Kelly, when students return to school after the break, they are expected to take final exams after a number of weeks off. Kelly says the biggest concern parents have expressed through emails are half days that fall in the middle of the week, some that are not on holidays, but planning days for teachers. A lot of folks are unhappy with the uh, midweek half days, especially working parents, because um, that obviously throws off an entire schedule and um, interferes with you know, pickup routines and and daycares. And you know, if you got one kid that's in preschool half day and one kid, you know, it just you never know what the, the family schedule. Kelly says the Charleston County School Board has approved of the district putting two academic calendars forward for public feedback. He also says legal requirements factor in when choosing these dates, and a new state law that just passed requires an additional 30-minute break for teachers, which interferes with instructional time. Other topics being discussed at today's meeting is the current EL curriculum and feedback will be shared from teachers and the community. The meeting is tonight at 515 at 75 Calhoun Street. Reporting live in downtown Charleston, Samantha Popovics, Live 5 News.
All right. Thank you, Samantha. Well, before the full board meeting, there is a special called meeting to elect the board's chair and vice chair. State law requires fresh chair elections every time a new member of the board is sworn in. Now, Darren Calhoun was recently elected and sworn in at the last meeting, triggering a new election for board chair. Last week, Ed Kelly was elected to the chairmanship, but has since called for that election to be redone, sitting a potential violation of open meeting law. Now, uh, that possible violation led to the board ending the meeting last week before any action could be taken on agenda items. In a letter to board members, Kelly wrote, I fully recognize this is uncomfortable and embarrassing for us, but I do believe there is nothing more important than complete public transparency in all we do. That special meeting starts at 5 p.m. Today, Clemson University's Bell B. Brouch Institute of Coastal uh, Ecology and Forest Science in Georgetown will be dedicating their newest building. Andy's Cottage, a new housing complex, will provide rooms for students, research technicians, and scientists, among other visitors, to the institute as they explore the state's coastal environment and study conservation. Andy's Cottage is named for Andy Quattlebaum, a fourth-generation Clemson student who passed away in 2019 at 22 years old. Also happening today, the Charleston Aviation Authority will be honoring the life of one of their police canines, Hector. He served on the Charleston community in the Charleston community for 10 years. Of Hector's many accomplishments, he was the first canine to be integrated within the Charleston County SWAT team. He was directly responsible for more than 15 safe resolutions of barricaded standoffs. The memorial service will be held at 11 this morning at the North Charleston Performing Arts Center. Uh, thank you you Hector for your service. Celebrating birthdays today, actor Gary Lockwood from 2001 A Space Odyssey. He's 86. Actor Anthony Daniels, whose work you've certainly seen but whose face you may not have, is 77. Daniels played the droid CP3O in the Star Wars films. Actor Kelsey Grammer, TV's Fraser Crane is 68. And actress Jennifer Love Hewitt is 44. Thank you so much for joining us for Morning Y'all, powered by Live 5 News. I'm Katie Kamen. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Morning Y'all, produced every weekday morning. You can listen and subscribe at live5news.com slash podcast. And download the Live 5 News app for your mobile device. Get the latest news and weather updates 24-7 from Live 5 News, the Low Country's news leader.